just as with any other group of human beings. The Sangha is subject to birth and death. Every day in the world, Sangha members, usually the older ones, not always, is somebody somewhere is dying or dies, but new members of the Sangha enter the Sangha every day as anaganic characters, novices, bhikkhus. So last week we cremated Tanjokun Mongkon Kititata. Venerable Ajahn Maha Amon, who is my preceptor. Tomorrow we have a Samanera ordination. Brendan will take on the, the robes, the precepts of a Samanera. And this is a reflection on the way things are. Where there is beginning, is end, birth and death. Venerable Ajahn Mahamon is much remembered and loved as both an Upajaya and an Acharya teacher, a senior disciple of Ajahn Chah, a great scholar, great teacher, but also a practitioner of Dhamma Vinaya. And his teachings always pointed to the importance of practicing Dhamma, learning Dhamma, but then using what one has learned and applying it in the practice. So here's that famous phrase we sometimes hear. Do, do, eng, hai, ok. Bok, do, eng, hai, dai. Roughly translating as see yourself as you truly are, tell yourself what you need to hear, live your life skillfully. and you'll naturally come to see the truth. A simple verse of reflection pointing to the practical reality of practice. We're learning to
see this body and mind as it truly is, as we truly are, knowing ourself, using the practice as a vehicle for that. But we also have to teach ourselves, tell ourselves what we need to hear. We have to direct ourselves skillfully in our actions, our speech, and our mind mentally cultivate it in the right direction. This is what will bring us to see truth. And the flavor of his teachings always very rounded, balanced, complete teachings. Talked about many different aspects of the path, different spiritual qualities that we need to develop. Wouldn't emphasize just a very sort of basic or dry meditation technique as the key to enlightenment, say. But because of his great learning, he was very skillful and creative in pointing out different aspects of the Dhamma, how different qualities, wholesome qualities, support each other and support the progress of the practice and how vital they are to the practice. And he always had very apt similes and anecdotes, teachings to help make it clear how the Dhamma helps us, brings, the tr brings us to see truth. When candidates would come forward to ordain with him, he would, one, one teaching he would often mention how in Thai they like to say we practice sila by looking after the precepts. The word is raksa sin. Sin means sila, precepts. Raksa means to look after. We look after the precepts. That's the normal way of talking in Thailand. So we translate that maybe as looking after or keeping precepts. We said that's actually wrong, isn't it? You don't look after the precepts or keep precepts. You look after your actions and your speech. And that is sila. The precepts, they look after themselves. The precepts are the, just what they are there. Guidelines of practice, regulations, rules, training rules. But what you're looking after is actually your speech, your action. That's the heart of Sila. And he loved to point that out. Just as Ajahn Chah used to say. And he'd use many 
reflections from the Buddha's life and teachings often talked about the importance of all the spiritually nourishing qualities that what we call wholesome dhammas, kusala dhammas that we develop in the practice and support the practice so you might say quote from the Mangala Sutta the 38 blessings and devas asked the Buddha what, a, what is auspicious in this world, what is a true blessing he gave the Mangala Sutta he liked to quote Karawo cha niwato cha santuti katanyuta kalina tamasawanang eitangmang kalamutamang. Difficult to say it when you're out of the chant. respect, reverence, to develop that quality of respect, reverence for that which is worthy, appropriate to respect. The Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, that which is good. Niwato is humility. to develop the quality of humility if we are to progress in the Dhamma we have to be able to (coughs) set aside our own pride and arrogance and stubbornness and strong opinions and so on in order to be able to receive Dhamma listen to Dhamma, receive instruction We have to develop humility. Santuti is contentment. Develop the quality of contentment with one's self, with oneself, one's own karma, one's own character. In the place, the teachings, the requisites and so on. frequently and regularly hearing the Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma, the teachings. These are all auspicious blessings, meaning qualities that support the progress of the mind towards enlightenment things to be brought up, developed, cultivated, not neglected, not ignored. Ajahn Chah talked about these qualities as like practice is like driving a car. There's a driver car to go anywhere, you need a driver. And that driver, if you're going to go to that place you want to get to successfully, they have to know the right way to drive, how to drive that car safely and skillfully, have to know the 
regulations of the highway, how to drive safely with other vehicles, have to know the route, where to go, how to adjust according to the changing conditions along the route and so on. You have a good driver. And these qualities like respect, humility, and gratitude and the making efforts to repay debt of gratitude to those who have helped us and to who we have a spiritual and dharma relationship. These are all qualities that are skillful, skillful living. You live your life in a skillful way. And these are skillful qualities that allow you to live skillfully in society, whether it's the greater society of human beings or society of the monastery, meaning the, the group of sangha that you live with and the laity that support you. Even just skillfully living within oneself and bringing up wholesome dhammas that support wholesome, peaceful states of mind and wisdom. These qualities are necessary. Someone without them then is like someone, like a car without a good driver. It becomes a dangerous vehicle crashing all over the place. People in society who haven't seen this point, recognized the importance of these qualities, where they often have a lot of suffering with others and within themselves. There's not much respect for others or self-respect, not much humility, not much gratitude or attempt to recognize and repay debts of gratitude. Don't listen to good teachings and dhamma often, not content, so on. That what their life will be characterized by the the lack of the, the, the good qualities, and so there'll be a lot of suffering and perhaps conflict and disappointments and so on. So he'd emphasize these kind of teachings just as much as the techniques of Gamatana, you know, the 40 meditation objects, or the levels of insight, stages of insight, which he would also teach as well, but he taught in a very rounded way because the path is the eightfold path. It's a rounded, complete path, many qualities one is developing and cultivating. And we sometimes overlook that, especially if we just practice Dhamma from the books or from our own opinions even. Whereas somebody sage like Ajahn Mahamon who's practiced and taught others over many years, he obviously came to the conclusion that these all these different spiritual qualities are necessary in the path. So we talk about them a lot. Talk about making merit, but you know, he'd qualify that term. In Thai it's tambun, we say punya, 
Punya means merit or meritorious action, skillful action. So I'd always say, well, begins with, making merit begins with dana, but for a monastic sangha member, dana doesn't just mean offering things. It means giving up, sacrifice, you know, sacrificing attachment to the world, to the things of the world and the ways of the world, and giving up kilesa from the mind, giving up, giving away, but not giving away to somebody else. You don't give your anger to someone else because that's what we used to do anyway. We get angry with people or not giving away your greed to someone else by you know, attaching to someone with lust or some form of greed and desire or ambition. Dana for a monastic a monk or a novice or an anagarika, giving away from your mind, just giving away, finishing, ending, letting go of them, abandoning them. That's what making merit or dana for a Someone in the Sangha means. So sometimes we, we think, oh, as a Sangha member, I've got no opportunity left to make merit or offer dana because I don't have any money to buy things and give things, give gifts. Well, this is a far more profound dana the giving up and giving away of your greed, anger and delusion from your mind through the practice, cultivating the opposite, non-greed, non-anger, non-delusion. As a samana we learn contentment. And this is dana as well, you're giving up your attachment for the world, you're not seeking anything more from the world trying to accumulate wealth which ultimately is impermanent, doesn't last forever anyway. You know, really the world is a place where human beings are competing and struggling to accumulate wealth, earn wealth and often far more than their basic needs require. Often it's wealth for the sake of it, for status, for security, for ambition and so on. As a bhikkhu we're giving up that and so we come into the Sangha we're willing to practice on the level of rag robes, leftover food from householders, foot of a tree, fermented urine. That's our starting point. We're learning to develop contentment and, and give away, give up the desire to accumulate wealth, to grasp and accumulate, hold on to wealth and giving up that ideal, seeing it as an end in itself. So of course it's a little bit of a challenge at first. I'm not sure whether we can do it or whether who will look after us if we don't have any money. But if we have the faith and we look and we study other bhikkhus and the history of bhikkhus since the time of the Buddha, we can see very quickly that as a bhikkhu keeping the 
Vinaya, then you do get looked after. Get looked after by your fellow bhikkhus, by the lay community, because the giving up, the dana that you practice, actually generates support and help and faith in others. So then we don't have to feel so insecure or doubtful. What's going to happen to me? Is anyone going to look after me? You actually see you do get looked after. But you're not expecting that even either. You're not expecting things. Everyone should look after me. They should get me this, get me that when I need it. It's not something you expect. But you notice it does tend to happen. The fruits of of your renunciation and your dana, it comes back all in its own good time. So it does mean sometimes we wait, we don't always get what we want when we want. But in this monastery, like any other monastery, nobody is starving, nobody is struggling with life-threatening situations because of a lack of support. There's still plenty of support. So we can set aside our desire for security and accumulating wealth and actually see, learn to appreciate the value of simplicity. Living simply, frugally and without a lot actually frees the mind. The karma of giving up, giving away greed, anger and delusion is you get a peaceful mind peaceful body, peaceful speech, peaceful mind. The mind inclines towards Dhamma easily, it's not too distracted. And living in the forest, if we're content to live in the forest, the forest is a peaceful place, it's not too much distraction. It's calm, quiet, cool, far away from the complexities and a lot of the confusion of the city. So learning to live in simplicity, content with little, with what we have, supports the mind calming down and turning towards Dhamma. Supports the arising of mindfulness, the arising of samadhi and the arising of insight. It all has its end, has its purpose. But these are qualities and ways of training. We have to appreciate how it supports the practice and then that will give us the strength to put up. Sometimes it's it's not always easy or the mind doesn't always agree at first. But when you consider the outcome and where you're heading from this practice then that gives you the patience and the strength to keep going even if it's not always easy. In essence just as the forest is a peaceful place as a samana living in the monastery in the forest we're developing peaceful behavior, peaceful actions, peaceful speech, and on the most refined level, then peaceful states of mind. 
that's not something you, you just grasp at, say the ideal of peace. It's something you practice, you cultivate. So this is why we have this monastic form. We have a, tra a way of training, practice, Anagarika, Samanera, Bhikkhu. It's a way of cultivating peaceful body, speech and mind. And cultivating the qualities that produce that, you know, the, these spiritual qualities, the contentment, the respect, the gratitude, the mindfulness, the calm, the wisdom, the insight. And this is something you, you cultivate, but the result is peace, inner peace and outward peace. You know, the more peace we experience inside, well then it's reflected outside in the way we talk to and interact with other people, the way we go around our business. We're not seeking a lot. You know, when the mind becomes more peaceful in itself, it's more full, more content. So it's not seeking a lot outside from other people or other places, other things tends to be more satisfied with the Dhamma, that is, the mind is seeing and experiencing for itself. Obviously, as we practice, we have to get to know our own character. We say our Nisaya, our character, our personality, which vary. Our karma is different for each person. We're the owners of our karma and we inherit our karma. So we do have different personalities, different backgrounds. So we have to get to see ourselves and know ourselves as we are. Then you can bring up particular parts of the practice to deal with particular attachments or chelators we might get to see, get to know. We can't always compare with others. You know, some sort of general comparisons you can make with other Sangha members. But in the end, you have to just get to know yourself because we all have our different character and karma. Some people seem to learn some aspects of the practice quickly seem to be able to wear their robes well and chant and sit straight in meditation for long periods and so on. Others don't, they take longer. Some people lose their temper easily. Some seem to be very calm and patient. Some people seem to be very ascetic and strict and able to cut off all kinds of cravings and desires for material things or food. Others seem to be struggling more and always caught up in, in trying to get more things than they have and so on. Some people seem to be able to operate without much sleep or much food or rest. Others seem to need more rest, more sleep. And we have to accept that our karma is different. So we can't always be looking at other people and, and you know, expecting ourselves and them to be exactly the same. 
can't always be expecting things to go as badly or as well for each member of the community. Some people, things seem to come together quickly. Maybe they have a good meditation or they get something that we don't get. They get, they travel somewhere and we're not traveling or they get some gift that we don't get. Or, you know, life is not always exactly even and democratic. Sometimes things don't always happen for everybody at the same time. But try to see the mind that is caught into kilesa or delusion that's making something out of that. You know, Ajahn Mahamon like to chuckle and talk about the forest chickens, how they eat, they move around as a group, but they eat, get a bit of food, they found some food and they're eating it, but then they notice another chicken has their food, and so they drop their first bit of food and rush over to the other chicken and try and get in on the action over there. And they're not even satisfied with that, they see a third chicken got some food and they rush over there and they're forever rushing around because they're always looking at other chickens and forgetting what they've got themselves and what they're doing themselves. In the Sangha in the beginning, sometimes it's a bit like that. We compare with our levels of knowledge or experience or who we know or what's happening to each individual and we get too caught up in that. We have to learn to just accept everybody is a little bit different and we come back to ourselves. That's what we have to really focus on and get to know is ourselves. We need to know what instructions are important for us. We have to be able to tell ourselves what we need to hear. And that varies. Some people need to be stirred up, pushed on. They say they're like boxes. If you stop pushing them, they just stop moving. Other people move all the time and they need to slow down a bit. Some people need to hear one set of instructions, you know, be more kind and gentle on yourself or be more kind and gentle on others. Other people need to be taught to be more restrained or more secluded or more this or more that. That's what you learn and then you learn how to bring up these reflections. Teach yourself. Seeing what needs to be done, what needs to be adjusted or changed in one's behavior, then you, you learn what message to give your own mind, your own heart, in the course of your practice. If you're one who likes to sleep a lot, well, you learn to say, oh, now is the time to get up. (coughs) And you learn how to say that to the point where your mind actually accepts the words and gets up, doesn't just sort of, you don't just sort of say, oh, it's uh, 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. whatever, and oh, time to get up and meditate, and then ignore that. You learn to tell yourself what you need to hear in a way that your mind will actually accept it and believe it. So for all of us, the 
practice is the same in the sense we're all following the same path, getting to know ourselves, teaching ourselves, cultivating the path. But the details and the timings and the experiences we have will vary. <coughs> anyway, I've uh, picked up a cough, so I'll probably just say that much for tonight.